All right, so we're wrapping up the book of Ephesians. And we're in Ephesians chapter 6, and I'm going to read from verse 10 to the end of the chapter. Ephesians 10, Ephesians 6, verse 10 through 24. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual host of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith which, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in change, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. But that you also may know my affairs and how I am doing, Titus, a beloved brother and faithful one, a faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you, whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs, and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace be to the brethren, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all, all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. Father, open our hearts and open our minds. Lord, from the youngest of us to the oldest of us, open our hearts and our minds that your gospel, Lord, would find entrance and that it would change us, transform us, and conform us to the very image of your dear Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we ask this, we pray this, in the name of the Lord Jesus, for your glory. Amen. So we come here to verse 10, and Paul uses this phrase, he says, finally, my brethren. Now, remember, when we read the Bible, we should always read the Bible in context. And when we read finally, the word finally, it tells us something. It tells us that Paul is coming to the end of something. He's wrapping up this letter. So Paul is coming to the end of this letter in his exhortation to the believers. And this phrase, finally, my brethren, indicates that Paul has led them on a journey with a destination in mind. He started them out. Let me read to you. Let's go back to the very first chapter of Ephesians, and let's read just the Let me read to you the first five verses. 
actually the first six verses. Now, this is the way Paul starts this letter out, and he does so on purpose. And if we read the scripture carefully, and we read this letter carefully, we're going to see that Paul started out in this place on purpose because he was taking the believers on a journey because he was teaching them. And we see that in this short letter to the Ephesians, it's, Paul does a pretty comprehensive job of taking us from the very beginnings of our faith to how we are to live that faith out on the ground here in our lives on this planet. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, this is Ephesians 1.1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful to Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. So Paul now, <clears throat> when we read these, this phrase, these three words, finally, my brethren, we see that Paul has has come to the end of this letter, the end of this exhortation to this church, to these believers. And he has led them on this journey from a, with a destination in mind. And he began this journey, he started out before the foundation of the world. So he talks about how God chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So so Paul starts out before the creation of the material universe, before there was a city of Ephesus, before there was a church in Ephesus, before there was any material creation. Paul takes us back and he says, I want you to understand that this is the beginning. The beginning didn't begin with you. The beginning didn't start in your mind and in your heart. The beginning was in God before the world existed. Now, he does this on purpose, and we're going to see why he does this, because he is giving comfort to this church who is under intense persecution. And we know at the church in Ephesus, we know that Ephesus was a city center for pagan idolatry. And that the church in Ephesus experienced persecution. Paul is writing this letter and he is strengthening the church. And he's reminding them, listen, none of this began with your persecution. None of this began even with your declaration of faith in Christ. It didn't even begin when you were born. What God is doing began before the material universe ever existed. That's where he starts. So he starts them out before the foundation of the world, reminding them that they have been chosen in God to be holy and blameless before him. He reminds them that it was in love that God predestined them to adoption as sons or as children, and that God did all of this according to his good pleasure before the creation of the world. 
Now that right there sets everything and it should give us peace and comfort that there is a God reigning and ruling over everything. That as much as you want to believe you're in control of your life and manipulating and pulling all the levers and making everything happen, there is one who is sovereign over everything. Every one of you that are here today got up this morning and decided to come worship. Every one of you, as far as I know, are here voluntarily. No one put a gun to your head and made you walk through those doors. So you made a real choice to come to this real building and and participate in this real worship service today. You did that, and I am so glad you did. Now, I don't know how many people we got in this room today, but here's the reality. What did it take for all of us to be sitting in this place today? What did it take for you to be born where you were born? What did it take for all of us from wherever we were all from, varied backgrounds, different ages, various geographic locations. What, what did it take for us to all come to be sitting in this place today? Who did, your, you know, who did your father or mother have to marry? Who did your grandmother or your grandparents or your great-grandparents or your ancestors, what boat did they have to get on on a certain day and come to America? What migration, what uh, pilgrimage, what... What did they do a thousand years ago that that caused you to be a person sitting in this room today? What happened 2,000 years ago to cause you to be a person sitting in this room today? What happened 3,000 years ago to cause you to be a person sitting in this room today? What happened 4,000 years ago to cause you to be a person sitting in this room today? How, How much control did you have over that? You didn't have any. But it happened. You know why? Because God in eternity had a plan. And God in eternity knew that Taylor, Texas would be founded in 1876 in the central part of a place that would be known as Texas. He knew that it would be inhabited and founded and grow to be a nice little rural community. And he knew that every one of us, are you hearing me, church? In eternity past, before the material world existed, God knew every one of us would be in this room today. He knew it. Not only did he know it, he ordained it, he allowed it. So yeah, we all came here freely. And I'm glad we did. But we did not come here apart from the sovereign hand of God who rules and reigns and and has done all that he has done according to his good pleasure before time began. Now, that kind of blows my mind, but more importantly, what it does, it gives me peace and it gives me comfort. Because when I can't see my future, when I can't figure out what tomorrow holds, I know who holds tomorrow. I can't see my future, but I know who knows the future before there ever was a future. (laughs) 
before there was time and space, before we measured time in seconds and minutes and days and weeks and months and years and decades, and you just keep going up the ladder there, before any of that ever existed, there was a God in eternity, and he rules and he reigns and he's sovereign. And he knows what tomorrow holds. He knows what next year holds. He knows everything. And here's what the scripture says. He chose you in him before the foundation of the world. Man, if you don't have peace, you should have it right now knowing who God is. If you don't have peace because you don't know what your future holds, you should gain some peace right now because the Bible just told you who God is and he just told you that he chose you according to the good pleasure of his will. So Paul is taking the believers on this journey and when he comes to this place, when he is finally brethren and he's fixing to talk to them about warfare, He's fixing to talk to them about a real spiritual battle that they're engaged in. Before he does that, you know what he does? He reminds them. He takes them through and he tells them who they are and who God is so that when they come to realize that they're engaged in this intense spiritual warfare and battle, they don't freak out because they know there's a God sovereign ruling and reigning over it all. And there's not anything, the boogeyman, there's not anything, the devil, there's not anything the forces of darkness can do to us to rob us and take us from the God who chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That's why we can have peace. That is the grace of God. So he says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Paul encourages these believers in this because he just taught them of the exceeding greatness of God's power toward all who believe. This is his prayer in Ephesians chapter 1, somewhere right around starting in verse 16, all the way down. And he says, I don't cease to pray for you that you would know the exceeding greatness of his power that works toward us. He's leading them up to something. He's bringing them them to this finally place. And he makes it very clear that the work of their salvation is not resting on them, but has been finished by grace through the gift of faith that God has given them in Jesus Christ. It's not of their works. It's not of anything that they have done so that no man will ever be able to boast, but only only, only give glory to God for his grace. He taught them who they are in Christ and what God has done by bringing them out of darkness and making them children of light, Ephesians 5, 8. Light in the Lord. They were once far away from God, but now by the blood of Jesus, he They have been brought near. This is in Ephesians 2. And he says they broke down the middle wall of separation in Christ. And he made the two one. No longer Jew and Gentile. But now one new man in Jesus Christ. That's your identity. So your salvation is is in Jesus Christ. And your identity, who you are, is determined by Jesus Christ. And how God knows you is determined not by what you do, but what Christ has done. 
By the blood of Christ, we've been brought near and made one with him. And now in Christ, the believer is sealed by the Spirit and seated with him in heavenly places, blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. It is God who made us accepted in the beloved, and it is God who is bringing us up to maturity in all things into Christ, who is our head. We are the body, he is the head. In him, we find power and might. We're commanded to stand, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And then Paul says in verse 11, put on the whole armor of God. Now this is not some carnal, fleshly, or material armor that we put on. But it is by nature spiritual. This is spiritual armor. It's spiritual. It's invisible. But I want you to know it is as real as any armor you could ever put on. It's more real. It's more powerful. It's spiritual. It's eternal. This is not given to us for some ritual that we're to do each morning. But this is the reality of what has been given to us in Christ. Do you understand what I'm saying, church? God doesn't tell you to put on the armor for you to stand in front of your bathroom mirror and imaginary and in your imagination start putting on pieces of armor. And if you don't do that every morning, you've left the house without your armor on, and now you're susceptible to the, to the wiles of the devil. No. You need to understand that in Christ, God has given you this armor. And just like we read in Ephesians where Paul says, put on the new man, he says, put off the old man and put on the new man. That when we put on the new man who is Christ, we put on that armor. So we need to live and walk our faith out in this life, conscious that we have put on a new man, that we're new creations. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That something real has happened, that when I was born again, the old was put off, and now I am putting on a new man. And I need to walk in that reality. So when I'm tempted, when my flesh wants to be distracted and drawn away over here to do some sinful or ungodly thing, it is the reality that I am walking in a new man that says, no, that's not who I am anymore. That's my old man. My old man is crucified, buried, and put away. I've put on a new man, so I'm not going to be distracted by those temptations. When the enemy comes against me and I feel the attack of the enemy, it's the same way. I need to walk conscious that God has clothed me in his armor. So this command here to put on the whole armor of God is not some kind of you know, magic ritual that we do, but it's the reality of what has been given to us in Christ. This armor is to be put on like the new man is to be put on that we talked about here in Ephesians 4.24. We need to walk conscious of the new man. We need to walk conscious that we are clothed in this armor of God that we have now put on in Christ. 
And we're going to talk specifically about the pieces. But look at verse 12. He commands us, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles. That word wiles is the scheme. The schemes are the strategy of the enemy. You know, the enemy has a scheme. He's got a strategy to try to thwart God's plan and purpose. But the good news is he can't do it. So Paul says in verse 12, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. In, in heavenly places, spiritual hosts of darkness. So Paul reminds us who we do not ultimately wrestle against. Our battle, our wrestling is ultimately of the spiritual realm. We are no longer of this world. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. But we have been born again of the spirit. We are spiritual beings. We have real battles though, right? We have real battles. We face opposition from real people. We experience the blood, the sweat, the tears of this life in these flesh and blood bodies in this material world. We experience real pain, real loss, real hardship, and oftentimes at the hands of real people. Real people persecuted the Apostle Paul. He was aware of that fact. Paul's not saying there aren't real people who do real things to us and cause us real hardship and present real opposition. But he was also aware of the fact that behind those schemes of real people and above them were the real spiritual powers of wickedness, real darkness, doing real damage and waging real war against the saints of God. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand. You have a real foe. You're in a real battle. You've been given real armor. Therefore, take up that armor that you may be able to withstand. Because of the real spiritual battle we are in, we are to therefore take up up real spiritual armor that we may be able to stand and meet our foe face to face in the battle. This is the picture that's given here. It's a picture that we are standing and we are facing our enemy. That we face him face to face and we don't back down. We stand. We don't run. We stand. We don't retreat. We stand. We face him and we stand. Why? Because God has given us real spiritual weapons. He's given us real spiritual power. We have no reason to run from, to shrink back from our enemy because God has provided real victory. And Paul took these believers all the way back before the creation of the material universe and said, look, this is your God. God has got you. You don't have to worry. The enemy can't steal you, can't rob from you the life that God has given. He might be able to take your physical life, but your physical life is just your physical life. The gift that God has given to us is eternal life in Jesus Christ. I know that seems foreign to us because we don't 
We don't like to even think about death. And we certainly don't like to think about possibly suffering physical death. But because of the real spiritual battle we're in, we are therefore commanded to take up real spiritual armor that will be able to stand and meet our enemy face to face. And so then Paul says, having done all to stand, stand therefore. Our victory in Christ is real, church. Jesus has really given us the victory. He has given us real spiritual power. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 says, The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. They're not carnal, but they're mighty through God to pull down strongholds, to cast down imaginations, to bring our thoughts into captivity so that when you're tempted to run, when you're tempted to be afraid, the Bible says God has given you the power to take those thoughts captive and to stand firm in Jesus Christ because in Christ we have nothing to be fearful of. So we're to take up this armor, we're to withstand the enemy and we're, and we're to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So remember in Ephesians 5, Paul says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. So God has given us real spiritual armor. He's given us a real Holy Spirit. And he says, live your life filled with the Spirit. Live your life governed by, controlled by, filled with the Spirit of God. Stand therefore, not in your power, but in Christ, in the power of the Spirit, in the power of His might. So Paul says, take up the whole armor of God. So he says, having girded your waist with truth. Having girded your waist with truth. If Jesus is not the truth, then he is a lie and we have nothing. We have nothing but to await death in our end if Jesus is not the truth. Everything hangs on the truth. Everything hangs on this reality that Jesus declared, recorded for us in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said right there, I am the truth. Everything hangs on that truth. This is the belt of truth. Paul is using, using a metaphor here of a man, a warrior, dressed in his armor. And the first thing he puts on is his belt. His belt that upholds everything and his belt that holds everything in its proper place. This is the belt of truth that upholds all and holds all in place and gives us the power and the ability and the reason and the hope to stand. Having girded your waist with truth, then he says, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness. The righteousness of Christ guards our heart in the peace given to us by his blood. 
And from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. This is what Jesus says. This is a spiritual principle. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you listen to someone long enough, they will reveal the true nature of their heart. Because the longer someone talks, the more you're going to be able to see what's in their heart. Because from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. This is why Romans uh, tells us, this is why Paul writes, confess with your mouth, believe in your heart. You can confess with your mouth that you believe in Jesus because you know it's what you should confess. But here's the reality. If faith is not really in your heart, that confession is not going to translate into a lifestyle that is actually going to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart is not a magic formula for you to get saved. Paul is saying, listen, if faith is in your heart, faith is going to come out of your mouth. And this is exactly what Jesus is saying. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So from the abundance of the heart, our mouth speaks. What is in our heart is going to come out of our mouth. And the covering of our heart with the righteousness of Christ protects us from the things that would penetrate our heart to corrupt and to destroy. It is his righteousness that covers us, that protects us. It is the righteousness of Christ that the Father sees when he looks at us. We are covered with a robe of righteousness. Aren't you glad that when the Father looks at you in Christ, he doesn't see all your failings, he doesn't see all your mistakes, he doesn't see all the things that you did that were not right, that did not measure up to his glory. But when the Father looks at you, he sees the righteousness of his Son, Jesus Christ. You are covered. His righteousness protects us, covers us. Shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace. How lovely are the feet of them that bring good news. Our feet carry us in obedience to the gospel. We put on our shoes. That's what this is. Put your shoes on. You don't go out to battle barefoot. You put your shoes on. You put your, your, your boots on. We put on our shoes ready to fulfill our commission to go and to make disciples. We don't go to the world with, with, with a bunch of psychobabble. We don't go to the world with self-help and success message. We go to the world with the gospel because the gospel is the only thing that can save men. Shod your feet, put on your gospel shoes, get ready and go in obedience and do what Christ told you to do. Go and make disciples. Faith, he says, above all, taking the shield of faith because it's with the shield of faith that we will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. What are the fiery darts of the wicked one? Think of all the accusations that the enemy brings against you. Think of all the accusations that the enemy brings against God. If God really cared about you, he wouldn't let that happen. You know, if God was real, you think you would really be going through this right now? What has your faith in God gotten you anyways? Look at all the trouble and hardship you've come into since you started worshiping God. We just read this in Jeremiah this week, where Jeremiah is, 
is proclaiming repentance to the people of Israel. And here's what Israel says to Jeremiah. Hey, we hear your message, Jeremiah, but here's the reality. While we were worshiping the queen of heaven, while we were offering incense to all these idols that you say are so evil, man, our life was a whole lot better. In fact, it was a lot better than, we worship, than when we worshiped the true and living God. So forget your God, we're going to stick with our idols. That's a, that is what Israel told Jeremiah. The Bible says sin is pleasurable for a season. You may go through a season of your life and it seems like everything is great. You're doing just fine without God. But I promise you, that season will end. And as long as that season may be on this earth, it may last decades. There's going to come a day when you will meet him face to face. And if it does, that season does not end before then. It will end in that day when you meet him and you do not have Christ. And you are not known by Christ. You'll be like those people in Matthew 7 who said, Lord, Lord, we did all these things in your name. We cast out demons. We prophesied. We worked miracles in your name. And Jesus said, in that day, I will say to them, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I know you not. Faith, the shield of faith. 1 John 5, 4, we see that it is faith that is our victory that overcomes the world. In the faith, we're commanded to resist the enemy, 1 Peter 5, 9. It's in faith that we wage our warfare against the enemy and against the gates of hell. By faith, we overcome. Salvation, take up the helmet of salvation. Christ is the head of the body, and he is our salvation. Our own minds are to be renewed to the mind of Christ that is now given to us in our salvation. Christ is the head, and we are the body. The word of God, the word, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Some say this is the only offensive weapon given to the believer, but in reality, this whole armor is given to us so that we can come against the gates of hell and overcome them. The sword of the spirit is the word of God given to us that we can Take the offensive and face our enemy and prevail against the gates of hell. Christ commands us to go and to make disciples of all the nations. And this is a command that puts us on the offensive. The only defensive posture should be in the face. The only defensive posture should be in the face of our enemy's counterattack that comes as a result of our offensive posture. Jesus never said. Go and wait for the enemy to attack you. He said, you go. And the promise is the gates of hell will not prevail against you. Gates are stationary. Believers are supposed to be moving forward on the offensive. Storming the gates. And then he says this, praying always with all prayer and supplication for all the saints and for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly and make known the mystery of the gospel. Praying always. Prayer is the posture and the position from which we wage war. 
This exhortation to be praying always is connected to the exhortation to put on the whole armor of God, to do warfare in the spiritual realm, to put on the whole armor, to take it up and to put it on and to wage war, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, praying always with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints, to make known the mystery of the gospel, praying always that the gospel is boldly proclaimed, boldly lived, boldly made known. Why the gospel? Because the gospel is the power of God to salvation. Romans 1.16 And by the gospel men will be saved from the bondage of death, which is the work of the devil. Jesus, who is the gospel, came to destroy the works of the devil. This is what 1 John 3.8 declares for this reason the son of god was manifest to destroy the works of the devil jesus came and he took on flesh and blood that through death he would destroy the one who had the power of death that is the devil that's written for us in hebrews 2 14 and this is the gospel that jesus has come and through his death he destroyed death he destroyed our enemy the devil he has freed us from the bondage of our enemy he has freed us from the bondage of death he has made us light and he has given us weapons of light to wage war against the darkness we wage this war with assurance for god gives us the victory in christ paul writes this in first corinthians fifteen fifty-seven. but thanks be to god who gives us the victory through our lord jesus christ paul was in chains he was a prisoner awaiting his death sentence, yet he wrote about victory. He wrote about faith. He wrote about overcoming in the face of certain death because he knew that whatever the executioner could do to him, it was only temporary because his life was safe and secure in God because of the grace given to him in the Lord Jesus. From his chains, Paul seeks to comfort the hearts of the believers. In the last two verses, verse 23 and 24, peace to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity? The Bible says God bestows grace to you. Paul prays grace to all who love the Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. We're going to get ready and we're going to come to the Lord's table. And we're going to take communion. And before you come and take communion, I want to ask you, do you love the Lord Jesus with all sincerity? Worship team, come on up. You've heard the gospel today. Do you hear me, church? You've heard the gospel today. And it's the gospel that is the power of God to save you. And with the hearing of the gospel today, it has either confirmed that you love the Lord Jesus with all sincerity or it has revealed 
that you need to come to that place of loving Him. And I want to invite you, if you've never come to a place of loving Jesus with all sincerity, that you can do that right now, right where you are. You don't have to walk this aisle and shake my hand. You don't have to say a magic prayer after me. What you have to do is from your heart cry out to God. And there will come a day, hopefully soon, that from that heart cry to the Lord Jesus, from the abundance of your heart, that faith will begin to speak. That you will say, yes, pastor, I love Jesus with all sincerity. Yes, the gospel did something to me. It changed me. And it made me see my need of a savior. It caused me to see my sinfulness and my need of salvation. You can get saved right in the chair you're sitting in right now. You can get saved driving down the road. You can get saved laying in your bed. You can get saved at this altar. You can get saved on your way to this table. I can't save you. No man can save you. Only God can save you. So, Father, as we come to this table today, I pray that we come in faith. I pray that we come as covenant people. People living in and living under your promises. Lord, I cannot see into a man's heart, but you can. And I trust, God, that those that come to this table today are coming because they're covenant people. Covenant fathers and mothers, covenant children. And they come because they love you, God. And they're trusting you. So come to Jesus, church.